So a new film about the unsung heroes, Caddies. This is a true uh, documentary that's uh, coming out. Yes, as he said, no caddy, I mean, no golfer has ever won the Masters without the help of a local caddy. That's why I never play golf without a caddy. You sure? That's why I never play golf. <laughs> ah, okay, good. I got this. All right, thank you. Hey, can we thank John Lee, our message caddy? All right. It's, uh, I heard a story of uh, a pastor who decided to call off, uh, call in sick on a Sunday because the weather was just too nice. So he drove an hour away so as not to be spotted at the golf course. And an angel noticed and let God know, said, God, did you see this pastor's skipping out? And God says, oh, yes, I, I notice, and I'm going to help him learn the error of his ways. So he gets up to the first hole. He's all by himself. He hits the ball 350 yards. It goes in for a hole in one. The angel said, I thought you were going to teach him how to learn from this. And God said, who's he going to tell? <laughs> if you didn't like that, it was from our golf caddy. Now, life is a series of decisions, and it's been said that you make your decisions, but then your decisions make you. And a life well-lived is often a life filled with well-made decisions, but a tragic life is often littered with ill-thought-out decisions and bad choices. And there really is something called decision fatigue, where researchers have discovered that there is a consistent decline in the best decision-making, the more decisions you have to make. In other words, you are overwhelmed. You and I can become overwhelmed with so many decisions that we need to make that we actually start making poorer and poorer decisions. Apparently, the late Steve Jobs and Mark Zuckerberg currently actually intentionally reduce their everyday clothing down to one outfit in order to limit decisions. True story. I don't know why they just don't do what I do, which is I have my wife pick out my clothes because I don't know how to dress myself. So we're talking about how to make wiser and better decisions, but not all decisions are of equal value. Remember that uh, show, um, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Yeah, there are some decisions that are worth $1,000 in life, right? They're, they're kind of a just day-to-day -day kind of decisions, what to wear, whether to go out on a date. But there's million-dollar decisions that affect where you live and what you do and who you'll become or who you should marry. See, but the problem is sometimes we are paralyzed because we treat the $1,000 decisions as if they're a million-dollar decisions. Whether to go on a date is not the same as should we get married. And when we are paralyzed, not realizing that, that God wants to guide us, that God wants us to experience and fulfill the plan he has for his life even more than we do, and that he guides us in the process, our decisions shape who we become. So how do we know if we're making the right decisions, especially when we have decisions that don't seem to clearly indicate right or wrong, or how do we even know what God would want for us? And if there is just one right choice, does that mean the other is wrong in God's mind? Now, we started this series last week, and I 
have to correct a few things that I shared uh, after a conversation with my wife. First of all, I shared a story about how when she was pregnant, she insisted on getting a Whopper from Burger King. And in the story, I made it sound like she got really upset. But in actuality, I was the one that got upset. (laughs) See, I, I yelled at her. See, the problem is you always have to have it your way. And in the end, you know what? When you're pregnant, you should get to have it your way. And what I also realized is she was speaking for two. That's probably why I thought she was more upset than she really was. It was me that was upset. The other thing you should know is that my wife actually did not want me to shave my beard. But I shaved my beard last week because I I wanted to show how she really did say on a date that I was very attractive except for I looked just like a baby. Uh, And here's a picture of me as a baby. And I insist I don't look like that. I mean, here's a more recent picture. There you go. All right. And then on our uh, drive uh, to a place where we were getting there a little early, I said, look, we're going to get here a little bit early. And she said, well, we're not there yet. And I kind of teased her about that. So a few weeks later, we're on our 25th anniversary trip. We're in Hawaii. And at one point, she says, you know, Eric, we've had a really great life together. And I said, well, it's not over yet. Now, what I should have said is, and it's not over yet. That's the more positive way to respond in the middle of that. See, actually, what I've just done is an example of better decision-making. Telling the story the way she likes it is way better than the way I like it, right? But see, clarifying what God wants in our life and how to make wise decisions is what we want to do today. See, here's the thing. God has a unique purpose for creating you. He created you with a plan and a purpose in mind. But what does that actually mean? Does that mean he put together a set of blueprints showing the right college for you, the right major to study, the career path, the person to marry, the place to live, the projects to accomplish, all spelled out to the letter? Which means every decision you make either steers you towards God and his path or away from God's path. But do you really think that Which college you choose, for instance, could forever get you off of God's plan? That there's only one right college that leads to a life of blessing in God's will, and the wrong choice leads to a life of aimless desert wandering, forever straying from God's purpose? Like choosing between A&M or UT, right? Notice I didn't mention my school, Baylor, after that epic loss last night. But actually, going into college, I really had this fear I had a friend of mine who actually was an Aggie. He was a couple years older. And I remember talking to him, saying to him, Jim, I'm really worried. What if I choose the wrong school? And then if I go to the wrong school, I may not meet the woman I'm supposed to marry. And then if I don't marry the right person, I might end up in the wrong place. And I would just go on and on. And he would just look at me and he would just try to encourage me. God will guide you. And maybe there's more than one right school. And I remember that was just kind of a new thought to me. But I want to to talk about this a little bit more because there are specific things that God has for every single one of us as believers. But there are also areas when there are multiple good options where we have the freedom to choose. I don't think there's one right and one wrong choice in every decision. When you look at the scriptures, you can see that God has a plan and purpose, but he's, he's more like a loving parent. Deborah and I have two children. They're 20 years old and 17 years old. So they're right in the midst of making big life decisions. And when they were little, we 
we guided them very specifically, told them what to do and not to do. And, but as they've gotten older, they have more and more freedom. And ultimately, I, I can tell you the honest truth. It doesn't matter as much which college they go to or which career they choose. What matters to me most is that they are seeking to become who God created them to be and that we have a, a relationship with each other. How tragic would it be if, if we push our kids to a specific path and, and they're incredibly successful but have no relationship with us later on? See, God is a loving parent, guiding, directing, but also in filling us with his spirit to guide us in the midst of multiple good options. See, our decisions when not aligned with God's will and ways is actually what leads to destruction in our own lives. And it's actually what's wrong with our world. But God is good and wants good things for us. And in the midst of that free will that he's given us, we have the opportunity to choose See, love is what we are created for first, to love God and to love people. And out of that, every other decision should be made. The way we love God is with our decisions. So the first question we need to ask when it comes to decision-making is this. What is God's will? Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the scriptures, tells us over and over and over, but just a snippet, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. See, the first thing to do is to consider God's revealed will to all of us, what he's revealed to us in the scriptures. We talked a little bit about this last week. And I know for some of you, the Bible, it's 2,000 years old, it's irrelevant. But last week, I talked about the importance of understanding context. And there's some misconceptions about the Bible. The Bible is not for slavery. The Bible is not against women. The Bible is not prudish about sex. But there's some other reasons that you can trust the Bible. One is that there are prophecies from the Hebrew scriptures written hundreds of years before they came to pass. It is God's word to us. And there is proven prophecies that have been fulfilled. But also Jesus held the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures in high regard. Listen to what he says in Matthew 5. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about God's law, God's will, God's moral will. Jesus verified that the scriptures reveal God's ways. And it's to our benefit to know his ways and to follow his wisdom. And not just rely on our wisdom. It's like you were to get a new car and you get the manufacturer's guidelines on how to operate the car. And you read in there that it says to get an oil change, but you hate oil changes. So you just don't. Well, you can make that choice, but eventually your car will break down. Or maybe the operation manual says that you should use unleaded gasoline, but you saw this video on YouTube about nitrous. And so you put it in your engine so you can go really fast until it blows up. 
right? You can ignore the operation manual to your own detriment. And the Bible is really more than just an operation manual for life. It's more of a love letter from God. It's the way we love him. It's the way that he guides us into making our decisions. The scriptures are a portal into God's presence, allowing us to learn from the mistakes and the good choices of others. That's why Jesus said this in John 15. I have loved you, even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. So you first ask the question, what is God's will? What does God's word say about this decision? Because it's the path to overflowing joy and life. Because the scriptures show us how to love God and to love people. Every time you make a decision is your opportunity to express love to God. Every time you make a decision is your opportunity to demonstrate that you trust God. Out of gratitude for all that God has done for us, we have the opportunity to give God our love freely chosen by using free will to trust him and follow his ways in his will. So I want to ask for just a moment, just a moment of self-introspection. Do you ask the question, God, what is your will? God, what do you want me to do in this moment? Maybe that could be your first step to, to adding that as part of your decision-making process, the first thing you do. The second question, just to consider, are you looking to God's word, allowing him to speak to you, to show you his way? As we mentioned during this series, try reading a chapter a day from the book of Proverbs. You'll finish in a month. And then once you're done with that, start reading from the Gospel of John, spending time in the New Testament, looking at the context of what was written. The Bible Project is a great online resource to help us. But the first step to wise decisions is principle one, where God commands, love obeys. We're gonna look at the same four principles as last week, but talk about them a little bit more in depth along the way. Because God has spelled out in great detail how to make many different types of decisions. With painstaking clarity, God shows how he wants us to live and love and grow and serve others and care for ourselves and handle our money and pray and deal with our families and relationships, how to show moral and ethical integrity in the marketplace. There's so much there to guide us into wise decisions and to live a full, productive life. But sometimes it's not as specific on what to do all the time. That's like skiing. Any of you love to ski? It's almost that time of year. Not very many, maybe a few. Uh, when it gets colder, you'll hear of this thing called skiing. And, uh, but if you've ever gone skiing, there's a great deal of freedom. There's all sorts of different slopes that you can go down. You go up maybe the same little, uh, what do you call that thing? Yeah, that. You go up, and then you have lots of different options, but there are some barriers that they say, don't go across these barriers. They're out of bounds. And why are they out of bounds? Well, because it could cause an avalanche. It could be a cliff. 
right? They don't want you to go out of bounds, but there's so much freedom to, to choose different slopes along the way. So if your desire is to make wise decisions that honor God, then know what is out of bounds, what is destructive to you and to the people you love, but know that he will guide you in the midst of the rest, which has so much freedom. But when we make decisions that honor God and his purpose for our life, they will not contradict what he's already clearly said. For example, you find yourself in a predicament. Should I cheat or lie to make more money? Well, you don't have to pray about that. God has clearly revealed his will. It says, don't. Don't lie. Don't cheat. It's in the Ten Commandments. It's very clear. You don't have to agonize over this decision. Instead, decide ahead of time, I'm going to love God by trusting what he says and be honest, to be full of integrity. And when you do, you'll find it's actually to your benefit in the long haul, even financially, to trust God in this area. Recently, a woman was told by her husband that he was leaving her for another woman, telling her, I prayed, and God is leading me to marry this other woman because this is real love. And God is all about love. Let me just say, that's not love. That's something else. And in the midst of that, he's blaming God. He's pointing at God. When really what he's not talking about is love, he's talking about his feelings. Or he's talking about lust. But what he's not talking about is God's love. Because God's love is clear in the scriptures. It is self-sacrificial. It is faithful. It is unselfish. See, we have a human version of the word love. We've diluted the word love beneath what actually is expressed by God, his unconditional, faithful, self-sacrificing, unselfish love. Plus, the scriptures also say, don't commit adultery. That was not God leading that man away from his wife. See, Jesus at one point says in Mark 10, 11, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery against her. See, he said this because what was happening is men would decide they wanted another woman. And so he would divorce this one so he could be with that one. It was almost as if he was saying, I am still righteous because I filled out the paperwork. But Jesus was saying, no, no, this is a commitment that's bigger than that. God's word helps us see what real love really looks like. And God wants to teach us how to grow in love and to find a love that's deeper than we ever imagined because it comes from God. But we first have to want God's will, especially when what we want is different than what God wants. But God doesn't force his way, which is why Jesus teaches us to pray, God, your will be done in me on earth as it is in heaven. Like we talked about last week, to make the right decision is simply to ask the question, what reverses the curse? See, we don't base our decisions based on what's best for me or what's most convenient or easiest, but on what's best for bringing about God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. What's best for the most people? What's best for God's kingdom to be introduced through my life? A glimpse of heaven through the decisions that I make. If a decision is clearly against what God has revealed as his will, love obeys God. That's the first wise decision-making principle. But sometimes there are multiple good options. And these principles can actually help with that when things are not so black and white, not so obvious. And that's this principle. Where there is no command, God gives freedom and responsibility to choose. 
And when we choose among multiple good options, we can trust that God will guide us in that. Now, what if in the midst of that area of freedom, others of faith have a different choice that they make? What if people who follow God make different choices and have different understandings, a different opinion in this area of freedom? Well, this actually happened in the early church, and you can read Romans 12 through 14, 1 Corinthians 8 through 10, and it talks all about that. There was this great debate. Some believers felt like it was okay to eat meat, sacrificed to idols, because these idols weren't real. But others found that to be incredibly offensive, and they thought it was not okay to eat meat, sacrificed to idols. And so what the scriptures tell us is that ultimately, we shouldn't judge others, we, we shouldn't gossip about others. We shouldn't flaunt our freedom in front of others, and we shouldn't cause anyone to stumble. But interestingly enough, he doesn't say which one we should have chosen. It's not clear. See, what happens in the scriptures is God can clarify his moral will. And when we obey him and trust him in that arena, then we end up becoming more likely to make good choices when there are multiple good options. And so what happens is it's more important that we care for the person making a decision that might be different than the one we make than we do care about what decision they're making if it's in the context of multiple good options. Now check out this passage, Psalm 32. The Lord said, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit or bridle to keep it under control. But let's be honest. Don't you sometimes wish that God would just tell us what to do? Just make it clear. When I have that thought, I have to remind myself, wait a minute, God doesn't want me to be a dumb animal, right? He doesn't want me to just listen to go left, to go right, to stop, to go. He wants me to grow, to become his loving child who's becoming more and more mature and loving and wiser in the ways that I make decisions. When it's not a decision that would go against God's revealed will, then God is asking us, what do you want to do? See, God gives us freedom and promises to guide us from his spirit. And this is a remarkable thing. We just took communion, some of us, during the, the time that we're singing together. And communion is a beautiful symbol. We take the bread as a reminder that Jesus gave his body by dying on the cross. We take the cup rem remembering that Jesus gave his blood, that he died on the cross for us. It's a reminder of what Jesus did for us. And so if you took communion for the first time as someone who is acknowledging, yes, I need Jesus, what you did on the cross to count for me, we wanna know that so we can help you grow. But if you did that as something to remember what God has done, what you need to also remember is that God didn't just rescue us when we say yes to him. He actually comes to live within us. His spirit is with us. And when we're uncertain of what to do, we need to just simply pay attention to God's spirit. This verse we read last week, Proverbs 3. Let's look at it again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and God will make your paths straight. Jesus promised this, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So we are not alone in any of our decisions. The spirit of God is there to guide us, that still small voice. And learning to hear that voice 
is part of the path towards knowing what to do when there seems to be multiple good options. Now, I have to admit, I've never had God speak to me by like writing in the sky. It's never happened. He's never spoken audibly to me. You know, turn left at the light. You know, God, you know, thank you, God. I didn't know which way to go, right? But God's spirit, his promptings are like thoughts in our minds. And part of the adventure of living life with God is learning to listen and discern when he's prompting us. See, what I've discovered in my own life is that God's voice is different than my voice because God's voice are those thoughts which are selfless, which require courage, and which are consistent with the scriptures. But my thoughts, or dark thoughts, are typically selfish, and they're the easiest option, and regardless of what the Bible might say. But learn to pay attention to God's spirit, which might require turning off some of those old guiding systems. You know how you get on the plane and they say to turn off your cell phone or at least the Wi-Fi, put it in airplane mode? I don't know if that really affects anything, but I do it every single time. And I make sure everyone around me does. <laughs> because if it does affect the guidance system, I don't want to go down because someone couldn't stop playing Angry Birds, right? And so some of us have the wrong system still on. And that's why we can't hear those promptings from God. Some of us use the wrong system to make decisions. We look for what's easiest. And so we go on autopilot towards the path of least resistance. Or we look for what's easiest, I mean, what's most predictable or safest. Or what makes the most money, no matter the relational cost. We need to turn off those autopilot systems in order to pay attention to God's spirit. So how does this work practically? Well, it takes humility and trust. Proverbs 11 when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. There must be a humble willingness to slow down and want to be guided by God's spirit. See, God never yells to be heard over our pride. He waits for us to humbly want to hear from him. There's a level of trust. It's about building that relationship with him. We must believe that God is big enough and willing enough to guide our thoughts. I've always leaned into this verse. As we seek him and pray to him for guidance, he guides our thoughts. But here's a verse that can be helpful. Psalm 37. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. So first we're asking the question, what is God's will in this decision? If there's nothing specific that relates, then the second question is, am I delighting in the Lord? Which means... Is pleasing God my goal when it comes to this decision? Am I trusting God is wonderful and loving and wants my best and, and that I want to follow his spirit? And if so, then it's very likely that what I want to do is what he wants for me. I've shared this story before, but when I was sensing along with, at the time, my fiance, now my wife, that, that after we got married, we wanted to move from Dallas to Seattle, a lot of people in our family just thought it was crazy. And I remember my dad specifically saying, why would you move to Seattle? Do you know more people have killed themselves in Seattle than anywhere else in America? Now, this was before Google and Yahoo. I have no idea how you knew that statistic. And it was interesting because my response surprised even me. I said, well, that's why we want to go there. We want to help plant a church for people who are hurting that need hope, even though they're hopeless. See, God had changed the desires of my heart to where I wanted to go to a place that was difficult. 
Now, here's the thing. When I look back, I never will regret moving to Seattle. And that was difficult. It was four years of, that was really intense. We had four senior pastors the four years I was there. That's not a normal attrition rate. But the first guy had a nervous breakdown, and the second guy was his brother, and the third guy was me, and I was 24. Should not have been a co-pastor at that age. But in the midst of the difficulty, I can tell you, I learned so much. I don't know if I would be here doing what I'm doing now if I hadn't had those four humbling years. I feel like by trying to trust God, even making decisions that seemed difficult, I can't imagine a more fulfilling life than what God has given me, trying to trust him along the way. But what if I had chosen not to go to Seattle? See, I really believe that if I had not gone to Seattle, I don't believe that everything would have been messed up from then on. See, I believe it's like our GPS, that that God can redirect us. It might take us a little bit longer to get there, but he can redirect us to the place that he's calling us to be. There are certain moments where God speaks really clearly, but when he doesn't, we can trust his still small voice. But here's the catch. I need to warn you, there is a huge danger in following the desires of your heart. You gotta delight yourself in God. You gotta want to please God to let him change your desires. Because the danger in following the desires of your heart is explained in Jeremiah 17. See, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. So we live in a culture where everyone tells us they're just following their heart. And maybe that's the problem, is we're all following our hearts, yet haven't tested our hearts to see if they're humble and willing to follow God. And that's where this third principle is so important, having wise counsel. See, where there is no command, God gives us wise counsel in community. The Proverbs we're encouraging you to read include some of these. Proverbs 12, the way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. Or this one, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. See, all of us have blind spots. And it's important to have some people in your life, people of faith who actually know your blind spots and are willing to be honest with you. See, the problem is, no fool ever thinks he's he's wrong on the front end of a decision. That's why I have three or four people who know me well who know my blind spots and feel the freedom to speak into my life. We all need a a personal board of directors or spiritual running partners that that we can entrust these big decisions, asking them to pray with us and to share with us what they see. We all have blind spots, and so we all need wise counsel. Now, you might want to find different versions of wise counsel for different decisions. I mean, you may not want to go to a dentist for stomach pains, for example, or you don't go to an eye doctor to advise on a toothache. There may be certain people in your life that that you go to for relational advice and others that you go to for financial or business decisions and others for spiritual decisions. But do you have people that you entrust these big decisions to, asking them for prayer and letting them speak into your life? If you don't, that's why we encourage you to get connected. The best and easiest way to do that is starting gate, just to get to know a few other people by serving others with others. Now, there's two extremes when it comes to wise counsel. Avoid the extreme of only listening to what you want to hear. That's not helpful. And also, don't depend entirely just on the wise counsel for making every decision. 
But learn to develop that relationship with God and add these board of directors to your life. And the final principle we'll talk more about next week. When we have chosen what is moral and wise, we must trust the sovereign God to work all the details together for good. In every decision, there's a risk and a step of faith. And next week, we'll talk about how that works. But in this moment, I want to just give you some time just to connect with God, just for a few moments. Maybe it's a decision you have yet to ask, God, what is your will for this? Or maybe there's something you just sensed in your heart that he is whispering to you now. Maybe it's to say yes to follow him. Maybe it's to commit to spending time with him. Whatever it may be, just in a moment of silence, just bow your head and just between you and God, just connect with him. Ask him to speak to you in this moment. Father, this is not nearly enough time, but may this um, intrigue us enough that we would do this more this afternoon, tomorrow morning, that we'd spend time in prayer and in the scriptures and allow you to speak to us, listening to that still small voice, being able to discern our voice from yours. God, would you guide us to become women and men who are committed to living out the purpose you have for us. Thank you that you love us so much that you have created us on purpose and with a purpose, that you desire for us to experience your will for our life even more than we do. So God, may we trust you, whether it's saying yes to follow you for the first time or reconnecting or diving deeper or helping others follow you. God, show us our next step, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.